Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Kevin, I just got to thinking about this. If How many quarterbacks can you name that are currently on the roster of the Carolina Panthers? Ooh, uh, is P.J. Walker still around? I, I think that's probably right. Is Darnold a free agent or is he under contract? I think I, I think he's under contract. If I'm not mistaken, and correct me if I'm wrong, if you've got that roster in front of you, I'm pretty sure Jacob Eason maybe is on the roster. Yep. Okay. Eason is, Mark? Uh-huh. There's somebody else you're missing. Oh, Matt Corral, right? Yep. I liked him at Ole Miss. And I think Matt Corral, because he was hurt, right? Yeah, he suffered the season and injury early in the year. And that's kind of the guy that's thought that you know they're going to give a fair shake to. But my point being... And they have the ninth overall pick. We should throw that out there. You know, they could certainly be in the market. If, if... Who is the quarterback that you would say is most associated with the career of Frank Reich? Oh, definitely Wentz. If Carson Wentz... When Carson Wentz came to Indianapolis and after one year was sent packing, do you believe that was in any way, shape, or form related to Frank Reich? Oh, or, 1,000%. Well, what I'm saying is, do you think Frank Reich is the one that said, we need to get rid of this guy? Frank or, Reich loves, is obsessed, however everyone want to describe it, Carson Wentz. If correct. Frank Reich had his say, Carson Wentz would have been the quarterback last year here. Correct. So what I'm saying is, if Frank Reich, knowing that he has... P.J. Walker, Sam Darnold, and Matt Corral, who may not be healthy, and Carson Wentz is now available. If Carson Wentz is not discussed or mentioned or signed in Carolina by Frank Reich, if Frank Reich does not actually reach out to Carson Wentz, is that not the greatest indictment of Carson Wentz that you could get? Well, I mean, if Frank Reich's looking to get fired again, he would go after Carson Wentz. Um, There's no way, shape, or form... I would be signing Carson Wentz to my football team. Certainly not under the impression that you're going to be our starter like Washington and Indianapolis did, Indianapolis via trade. Jake, because I think not only can Carson Wentz not play anymore, he also, it's become a distraction. It's and, become and again, like a bit of like the butt of jokes. Like it's, it's, last it's year an with anomaly Washington, to it me. was I, I, like it's uh, anomaly. I'm sorry, it's the wrong word. It's an enigma to me. Like, I was I was one of the last actually to 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 throw in the towel on Carson Wentz because I there were times where I looked at his skill set he was big mobile he had a good arm occasionally he'd make throws that you're like wow the Arizona play but Kevin there's just I don't believe necessarily at all times in like it factor you hear that about guys there are certain guys that I've always said, Peyton Manning. You know, Peyton Manning had an aura about him, and it's hard to explain to people, although I think people can clearly see it, 
But it's hard to explain to people that weren't in the locker room. Like when you would cover the Colts, and I don't mean in the locker room, like in the form of like you had to be in a locker room. You know, I'm not going with like the meathead line there. I mean, like if you were if you weren't physically in there, like covering a game or practices, guys would kind of be horsing around, and Manning would round the corner, and like you could just see that everyone kind of stopped to see what his mood was. He was the alpha. He was the clear alpha. And guys of all backgrounds, all races, all sizes, all positions within that locker room deferred to what Manning's mood was, and that dictated and set the tone for where they were going. And there were a lot of times he was very loose and cut up and whatever else. But there was an it factor about him. Andrew Luck had it to an extent, Kevin, and the fact that Andrew Luck was so eccentric but so gifted and so unaware of his own celebrity that I think his teammates respected that also. And they just knew that as a player, they almost had to. Carson Wentz seems to have the exact opposite of that. He's like he's like Pigpen in Peanuts. Like he just has like this little like emanating radiance of stink around him that people just don't want to be a part of. I don't know what it is. I Everything I've heard, he's a nice enough guy. I've heard people because he's living in Indy still. The fact that he still lives in Indianapolis shows me that he is like totally tone deaf. Like he's completely unaware of the fact that when he walks into a hardware store, people go, I, I think that's Carson Wentz. And think it's odd. And he's just like, yeah, I'm just here to buy some two by four, you know, whatever. Which good for him? Uh, yeah, I don't. Th- I mean, some, he's clearly found a home that totally. I, he I totally agree. And a property in the Boone County for, area. For that he whatever loves. reason, though, there's just something about him that when he walks in locker rooms, have you ever been in? I mean, you're a married guy. I know. Have you ever had either a roommate or at any point like? Have you ever had a roommate that you didn't get along with and you would pull in and you, you saw their car in the driveway and you're like, oh, man. Sure. Like, that's what it, that's what Carson Wentz as a teammate seemingly is. Yeah, I don't think it's universal, to be fair to him, inside that entire locker room. But, he, but he's 0 for 3 now. Three different franchises have said, you know what, yeah, we're, we're going to... Well, good. I think his on-field play has a lot to do with it. You know, I, I think the offensive linemen especially um, were very close with Carson Wentz when he was here in Indianapolis. It's just kind of crazy when you go back to Philadelphia and you think about when Philadelphia started telling the NFL what they thought of Carson Wentz, just how that was ignored, or I guess, in Frank Reich's case, you had kind of a stubborn individual thinking that, no, I can fix him. And then Washington said, oh no, we can fix him. You know, if you look back on the timeline of it, and again, for those who missed it, I guess, Carson Wentz, released by the Commanders yesterday, saves him $26 million. Carson Wentz signed a $120 million contract in the summer of 2019. So right there, Philadelphia is saying, this is our franchise guy. $120 million, 2019, the summer of 2019. Jake, they made the playoffs that year. Carson Wentz was a huge part of them. Late season surge. They get into the playoffs three months later in, in that season. And yet, they come back in April of that year, and they draft Jalen Hurts in the second round. Yeah. So think about that. They sign him to the mega deal in 2019, that summer. They then make the playoffs that season. Wentz got hurt early in that playoff game. They come back in the draft, and they take Hurts. Then, in 2020, 
That's when Wentz leads the NFL in interceptions. He gets benched late in the season, and his time in Philadelphia is over. So during the course of watching Carson Wentz lead them to the playoffs as a franchise, they were turned off by something. Enough to draft Jalen Hurts with a a notable draft pick. I mean, a second-round pick is certainly notable. No, we're not going to help out Carson Wentz with that draft pick. We're going to draft a quarterback because we have some uncertainty. We have some rocky thoughts on the future at that sort of position. That, to me, when you look back on it, it's like, doesn't that tell you everything you need to know? That Philadelphia made that move before he led the league in interceptions. Um, there is no way, if I'm an NFL team, I'm bringing him in to, frankly, even... I, I, I would not bring him in. I think it's too much of a distraction. I think it's way too much of that. Um, I, I don't think he would be accepting of some, you know, Josh McCown, Jacoby Brissett right, type right. backup but role. But he is... I, <laughs> Enough He's got to be a better backup than most players, most backups in the league, right? I don't want my backup to have that distraction I, and that just I, I awkward agree. kind of cloud hanging over it. By the way, and he's not even the biggest headache in Washington right now or figuring out what they're going to do in terms of now that he's been released. Yeah, is there some Daniel Snyder? Um, this from ESPN.com. I'll just read it direct, and I want to make sure that um, I'm quoting ESPN.com here. Daniel Snyder's final breakup from his longtime minority partners in Washington's NFL franchise began with a footnote in April in an April 2020 financial report. The note revealed a $55 million credit line the team had taken out 16 months earlier without the knowledge and required approval of Snyder's minority partners, the three billionaires who owned 40% of the franchise. The secret $55 million loan has become a primary focus of federal prosecutors in Virginia who are investigating allegations of financial misconduct by Daniel Snyder and the Washington Commanders. Multiple sources with firsthand knowledge of the inquiry told ESPN. A federal grand jury has issued subpoenas for a cache of documents related to the team's finances. I, I know nothing about money, um, but that doesn't sound good for Daniel Snyder, who is unquestionably one of the least liked owners in the NFL and uh, as I have mentioned one of my favorite anecdotes of the combine when with no names mentioned to not get anybody in trouble one popular establishment in Indianapolis I asked once who's the like the biggest pain you've ever had in here and they're like uh without question Daniel Snyder was a complete horse's ass when he was in here okay do you think that's one of the few things Daniel Snyder and Jim Mercer agree on their venom towards Carson Wentz <laughs> Does he have venom towards Carson Wentz now? Apparently so, because they got rid of him, right? <laughs> um, Mark, did you see the odds yesterday on who will end up drafting number one overall? Not which player, which team. I did. I, I, I think if it's the same one you did, you saw. The Houston the Texans? Houston Texans at plus 250, the Chicago Bears at plus 275, and the Indianapolis Colts at plus 350. 50. For those unfamiliar maybe now, with exactly what those odds mean, obviously none of them are overwhelming favorites, but those three are pretty jumbled together. What I, if I what was if surprised the team, by that? What if the team making the pick is drafting for in other words for example, like when Kawhi Leonard was drafted by the Pacers, everyone knew they were drafting them for a prearranged trade. Uh-huh. So, for example, if Chicago selects the first overall pick, but it's because they have already 
planned a deal where they're swapping, you know, four player whatever, and so they are drafting for another team. Which one is credited in Vegas as being the number one, the team that selected number one? Yeah, I, I, it I, would be Houston, right? I, I mean, it would be Chicago, right? I feel like that is really unusual in the NFL. I know it's Understood. super popular in the NBA. No, I get but it. But I feel like in the NFL, you don't get a lot of Draft we've trade, selected right. this guy and now right. we're trading him and you know, ten minutes later right. to said team. Mark, are you surprised by how close those are? I thought the Texans would be more of a favorite to draft one. Yeah, it was I was surprised that the Bears are two just because I don't I don't think the Bears are gonna there's any, like, I don't think there's any chance the Bears are drafting one overall. But Mark ideally what who drafted number one overall when Eli Manning was in the draft? Chargers. Correct. So, like, which one, which team is credited? Is are the Chargers credited as the number? I guess they are, right? As yeah. Having they had the jersey picture and everything. Right. He looked like he was Fair. wanted to be anywhere else. I'd no. like to know this: what order, Kevin? What if you had to pick it right now? The first four quarterbacks taken in the draft are going to be who, and in what order? Oh gosh. Um, yeah, I. For me, it would be Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Will Levis, Anthony Richardson. The, the Hendon Hooker one, I think, is interesting. Um, his age, I, I don't think the ACL should worry too many people. I know he won't throw at the Combine this week, the Tennessee quarterback. The age, he's 25 years old, so I know that frustrates. Is he Brandon Whedon? Yeah, it, yeah, I know. I, I mean, wasn't Brandon Whedon even er, older than he that? He was 26, I think. Supposedly, Brandon Whedon, when he was drafted by Cleveland, I, the narrative has always been that, that Cleveland like had – they were going for somebody else, and that player got selected. So Cleveland they just like, panicked. panicked, and they're like, "Ah, just uh, okay." The guy from Oklahoma State, take yeah. him. What's the guy? Alphabetical order. Well, let's just go with that. Uh, you know, I know we talked a little bit about it yesterday. For me, it's not as much about what these quarterbacks do on the field coming up on Saturday when they do work out. It's a lot of what happens in these meetings. You know, we had Jeff Foster on about a half hour ago. The president of the National Football Scouting Inc., pretty much the driver of the NFL Combine, not the former Pacer. And he mentioned those formal and informal interviews. To me, that is going to be a huge separator in what you end up having um, from a quarterback standpoint. But I, how about this one? In the first four picks, over under two and a half quarterbacks get chosen. In the first how many? In the first four picks... Over under two and a half quarterbacks get taken. I take the over. I'll take the over too. And, and if that is the answer, and I agree with you guys, I would take the over. That's why I don't think the Colts can sit at four. Because under that scenario, the Colts would be getting the third quarterback. But again, Kevin, I go back to I I, I hear what you're saying, and I'm not disagreeing. I'm simply offering the explanation from the other side of it. What the Colts have to ask themselves is, which is a greater chasm? The divide or the disparity of talent between quarterback one and quarterback three, or the divide and disparity of talent between the roster they would have if they stand pat and the roster they would have that they would deplete in order to move up two spots, three spots. That's the question. And I don't know the answer to that. That's what they have to figure out. Yeah, I, I want to be the chooser. I, I don't want teams to choose my quarterback for me. Like, I, I want to be the one in control. That that position means 
way too much. It can cover up others. I can do what Jacksonville did this past season, where I can find support in free agency um, to help kind of accelerate that growth. I thought Jacksonville did an unbelievable job with you know the Zay Jones and the Evan but, but Ingram Kevin, and I'll, the I'll Christian Kirk free agency I'll put it moves. This way. If you're getting ready to go Christmas shopping, okay, you're going to go Christmas shopping, and I have for you four gift cards. And I tell you, I have $1,000 gift cards to four different stores here for you to do your Christmas shopping for your wife. Okay? <laughs> Boy, you got paying $1,000 for Maddie's Christmas gift? If I told you that those four cards are to Saks, Nordstrom, Lord & Taylor, and Bloomingdale's, you'd probably, and I said, but I'm not going to tell you whether you're going to be able to pick the first, second, third, or fourth card. That's different than if the four cards are to Saks, Macy's, Kohl's, and TJ Maxx. Because the first one, you're like, you know what? I'm pretty good with, if, if I don't get, Saks might be my first choice, but if I end up with Bloomingdale's or Lord & Taylor, that's still pretty darn good, and it's not a huge disparity. But in group number two, you're like, okay, if I don't move up to get Saks, I could end up getting stuck with TJ Maxx, which is still fine, but it's not Saks. The Colts have to figure out to themselves which grouping we're talking about. Are these four quarterbacks, Sachs, Lord and Taylor, Bloomingdale's, and I can't remember the other one I mentioned, or and Nordstrom, or are these four quarterbacks, Sachs, Macy's, TJ Mack? That's what they have to ask themselves. And I don't know that we know that. I don't know that they know that yet. But to me, that is what determines whether or not you move up. You know, if I'm Chris Ballard, Jake, and I get this wrong, I get fired. I, I want to if be the one. If you were Chris Ballard, yes. I don't think Chris Ballard does, though. I, I, I want to be the one making that call. I I guess to the gift card analogy, I want to be the one picking the gift card myself. I don't want others dictating that. And I you know I know I mentioned this yesterday, but I think it's, it, it's on the list of reasons why I would want to trade up. The fact that you have the Houston Texans sitting there at two, they have the draft ammunition that they do, I don't want that guy in my division for the next decade. That's fair. That, I think, is a huge, huge part That's a fair point. of the urgency that I would have with this. Um, I know we got a couple calls we can get to here coming up in the 8 o'clock hour. Norv Turner is going to join us at 9. Mark, are you saying he's out on the West Coast? Is this going to be he's live? He's in California. Gosh, he was, he's on Rick Venturi time. Yeah. Well, he's uh, an old co- coach. He's used to getting up early. Uh, Film studies. Yeah, he's got to get his work done before Miss Sherry Turner. Like That's right. Miss Sherry Venturi. That's right. That's you know, right. Uh, wakes up in the morning. Uh, by the way, Coach Venturi was texting me some big horse wins um, for oh, him really? over the weekend. Yeah, he's very, very pleased about that. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Not sure you're going to find a busier man than our next guest. He is Jeff Foster. I don't believe a relation to the great pacer, uh, but a very important piece of what the NFL Combine has been about for years, especially here in Indianapolis. The National Football Scouting League president, which is based here in Indianapolis, Jeff Foster runs the show in what is certainly his busiest week of the year, and I would make the argument... 
maybe the most important NFL week of the year when you consider the future and the present of the NFL. And uh, we'll head to the Payless Liquors Hotline right now, and Jeff does join us. Jeff, I know it's a very busy week, so appreciate your time here on this Tuesday morning. Um, when this week comes around, where is like your, your nerve level? What, what are the biggest worries on the plate of Jeff Foster this week? Well, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, appreciate it. And yeah, busy week, but we're excited. Um, for me, probably the biggest challenge is making sure all the athletes get here because that's really out of our control. You know, so we look at weather patterns and um, all the locations that players are flying in from. And uh, we have this text chain uh, with our event staff that's my favorite text of the year. And all it is is a number. Um, so when the final player lands, uh, we all receive that number. Um, and so this year's number is 319. So when I receive 319 tomorrow, I'll be excited. Now, see, it seems to me, not to slight two players, but the number should just be 317, right? Thinking, that, be <laughs> that would be easier. easier you know, we're actually lower than we ever have been um, in my time here, uh, which is, uh, we believe it's a function of NIL and uh, COVID years and things of that nature. Um, but yes, uh, 317 would be great. Jeff, if you could, for our listeners, take me through kind of twofold. Number one, do you live here in Indy, and you know what is what goes in year round towards this to get to this point? And then number two, what is kind of just the oversee preparation of the combine? Is it simply a matter of making sure that you have all of the facilities and and people ready to go? Well, I do uh, live here in Indianapolis. I'm a Zionsville native. Um, so, um, you know, having an opportunity to keep the event here in Indianapolis was really important. You know, and after 35 years of hosting the event and then being told uh, that they're going to bid it to other cities, you know, Indy had a, two options. You know, they could roll over and be upset with it or they could put their best foot forward. And to their credit, Visit Indy and that great team there and our partners here in the city, um, they put together an incredible bid that earned the earned all of us the you know the two years here uh in indy and as we start the bid process for 25 and 26 i expect they'll do the same uh so excited to be here uh in indy again um for us um, it's a year-round operation um our office is located here we have uh, five full-time staff including myself um we also run a scouting service national football scouting uh for currently 21 teams um and then um, we do some other projects for the league and then obviously the combine here is the biggest piece um, so we have a few staff members that work on this year round. And a lot of that is just collecting feedback after the event from the players, from the coaches and the personnel people, um, trainers, training facilities, agents, um, to just see how we can improve the event next year, specifically for the player experience. Uh, that's really our focus, um, is making sure that the players have the opportunity to perform here. And the club people uh, can collect that in- important information, whether it be the medical side, the interviews, uh, or the on-field performance. So for us, um, it's a lot of preparation. It's obviously heavier at the tail end, um, but it also connects very well with our scouting service because that helps with the selection of the players and uh, leads us right into the event operations. Jeff Foster is our guest on the Payless Liquors Hotline. He's the organizer for the NFL Scouting Combine. Jeff, um, one of the things that I have always heard that makes Indianapolis the place for the Combine and that is so unique is the access, medically speaking, in terms of if there is something where a player needs to get a second you know, MRI or scope or something like that, or if anything medically takes place, everything is so close in proximity. Are there direct partnerships or business relationships with just say, for example, IU Health, or do you go to 
any of the different medical facilities that are available within proximity of downtown, regardless of which business they're involved with? Great question. And um, IU Health is our partner. Uh, they're our anchor in the city. Um, you know, when we talk about moving this event to other locations, uh, if you give us a stadium uh, and connected hotels uh, and some convention space, those components are much easier to move. Um, but the medical component and the complexities of the scheduling um, are really the biggest challenge for us. Um, and IU Health is our exclusive medical provider. Um, they're our partner, and, and really they're what make it go. Um, we start meeting with their uh, staff uh, in October um, or November each year um, and work through some of the changes and improvements that we're going to make on that medical side. And um, they have always been great to provide us with new innovation, um, you know, whether it's helping us with uh, the development of a new electronic medical record system um, or, um, you know, the mobile units that we mobile MRI units that we have down in the stadium. Um, and, you know, what people don't understand is that when we're trying to do the volume of tests that we do, which, you know, last year we were somewhere around 550 MRs and uh, 2000 x-rays um, over the course of four days. Um, those hospital facilities, they don't shut down for their other patients. Um, they just have uh, incredibly efficient schedulers, and uh, they assist us with moving the players around, um, not only for um, the imaging, but uh, for some of the um, special studies that we do on athletes. It's a huge reason why the Combine has stayed in Indy for as long as it has. Jeff Foster is with us here again, president of National Football Scouting Inc. on the Payless Slickers Hotline. Uh, Jeff, how do, you said 319 players, how does the selection process for players happen? Well, it's one of our challenges early in the year. As you know, evaluating players is um, it's very subjective, uh, and we don't always get it right. Um, and I think uh, the 32 teams would probably tell you the same things. But um, we've um, made adjustments over the years in trying to improve the process. Um, and starting five or six years ago, we invited all 32 teams to participate in a voting process. Um, and so um, we start selecting the seniors um, at the beginning of December, um, all 32 teams, um, as well as national football scouting and blessed scouting um, are invited to participate. Um, and, you know, generally the first 150 players um, are fairly easy to select. Um, it's that last 150 to 200 um, that create challenges for us. And, um, you know, we have to wait until the underclassmen officially declare in mid-January. Um, and then we put them through that same voting process. Um, and then that's what, um, you know, generally um, the talent pools kind of dictate um, the, new, the numbers by position. Um, we have to have so many to operate the event, you know, especially in, you know, positions like quarterback. Um, but generally the talent pool will dictate. Um, and so we'll have a, a small committee that will help us, um, you know, scouting directors, general managers that, that select those final spots. Um, and, you know, at the end of the year, um, when we look back on it and we look at the draft, I think our average is somewhere around 30 to 35 players who get drafted that don't get invited to the combine, um, which I know that makes it look like a miss for us. Um, but it also shows um, how similar that talent pool is at the very bottom. So the 25 to 30 players that are on the outside looking in could have very easily been in um, and deserving. And that's one of the hardest parts for us. If our listening audience that maybe doesn't understand what exactly the week looks like for, for prospects, can you give us kind of a general idea of what that, I think it's a four-day cycle, if I'm not mistaken, on players from arriving to leaving. I know workout times have been moved up a little bit uh, to the afternoon this season or this year. So what does a schedule look like for players? 
Yeah, well, there's really four main components of the event for us. Uh, the medical testing, which is our number one priority, and that really um, it spans over the first two days. Um, and then the interviews. Um, so there's both scheduled formal interviews that the teams can select and we schedule for them. And then there's informal interviews. And typically we do those in the evenings. Um, and those last up until um, the second to last night for the players. So um, this year it's a little bit different. Um, the defensive players will be here four nights, five days. Um, and the offensive players will be here five nights. Um, so um, it's, it's long for them. Uh, the first two days um, are challenging because um, of the medical testing and the imaging. Um, and then uh, the interviews, um, we do a little bit of assessment testing. And then obviously the final day um, is the workout. Uh, one change that we made this year is we moved the bench press to their departure day uh, to try to spread things out a little bit more um, and to provide the athletes a little bit more time for rest and recovery. Um, and um, that's worked out really well so far. Uh, looking forward to seeing how, um, you know, how the players compete through that new schedule. I was hoping the bench press would continue to be near the radio row because that's my favorite part is listening to some guy that's like a 5'10", 220-pound strength and conditioning coach from a random NFC team screaming at the top of his lungs. That's my favorite <laughs> yeah. part of the combine. Yeah, it's, we moved it into the stadium this year. Ah. Uh, we think it'll, it'll be a good experience for the players, but yeah. Um, Were they complaining about the radio road dorks? Is that what it was? <laughs> no, not at all. They're like... Man, how can I get juiced up? I got these radio geeks over there talking and screaming. <laughs> um, Jeff, last question for you, and then we'll let you go because I know you got a busy morning. I know you said you're from Zionsville. How did you fall into to what it is that you do? Fall into is probably the wrong word, but what is your actual background just in terms of the rise to being the guy that is now you know, the go-to guy for one of the signature economic events of the city? Well, fall into it uh, may be accurate. Um, sometimes it feels like you drew the short straw. Um, but, uh, no, I've been fortunate to be involved in football um, for my entire career. Um, after uh, I finished at Arizona State, um, I joined the um, East-West Shrine game. Um, and I was with the Shrine game when it was um, in San Francisco uh, for six or seven years and had an opportunity to run that game. Um, and then from there, I moved to the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, and I worked for uh, Coach Vermeil uh, and his staff um, on the personnel side. I did a couple of years of college scouting and a couple of years of pro scouting. Um, and then my predecessor, Duke Babb, um, uh, was retiring. Um, and at that time, National Football Scouting had 12 teams that belonged uh, to their service. And so each team got to put up a candidate to replace Duke. Uh, and Carl Peterson, the GM at the time at the Chiefs, um, nominated me from the Chiefs, and we went through a selection process, and um, I drew that straw. Um, and so uh, here I am. Do you have a Pacers Jeff Foster jersey by chance? <laughs> I don't, but I have some interesting uh, Jeff Pacer experiences, uh, or excuse me, uh, Jeff Foster Pacer experiences when we arrived here. Um, you know, when I arrived uh, for my first combine meeting, um, the city had sent um, a, a car to pick me up, and the gentleman who was picking up didn't believe it was me. He was holding a <laughs> Jeff Foster sign, and I walked in and shook his hand and said, I'm Jeff Foster. And he looked at me and it gave me that strange look, and um, it, it took me a little bit to, uh, to figure out why it was so odd. But, um, Wait, you no, grabbed no, 10 rebounds a night in the NBA? <laughs> <that's> right. <laughs> right. Well, it's kind of like the guy who won the uh, dunk contest this, uh, this year, right? Um, I guess I have those kind of hops. There you go. There you go. Jeff, I know it's a crazy bit busy week uh really appreciate the informative segment and uh good luck and thanks for everything you've done and uh, helping keeping keeping this event here in indianapolis thanks very much Look 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Forward to seeing you guys this week. Uh, but joining us now on the Payless Liggers Hotline, he is a guy who is synonymous with coaching throughout the National Football League, as we had just mentioned, worked with 10 different franchises, and along one of those stops gave the first opportunity at the NFL level to coach for coaching for Shane Steichen, who will now become the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. Norv Turner joins us on the program. Coach, top of the hey, morning, morning to you, man. It is like it's 6 a.m. for you, isn't it? It's uh, it's our normal time to get up. We just wow. I was in the other room. I lost track of time here. No, that's impressive. I'm ready to go. <laughs> that is impressive. <laughs> I love it. Hey, let's begin right away with this. Um, and I appreciate your time and perspective. And look forward to talking to you. But you know, you you were in on Shane Steichen obviously early, right? You saw something in him, and ironically enough, on the other side of the ball than where he really developed a name for himself, but. Take us through just your initial meetings with him and why you decided to reach out to him and give him his first opportunity. Well, you know, uh, like a lot of these situations, there's an association. I actually met uh, Shane when he was in college. You know, he was there with my son, Scott, at UNLV. So I knew him, and then uh, we had an unusual situation. We had in May, I think we had a opening as a I was creating actually creating a, a job on the defensive side uh, defensive assistant to do a lot of everything and uh, I reached out to Shane he was at Louisville and he was excited about it and uh, it worked out you know he came in and worked on the defensive side for a couple of years uh, we went to Cleveland for a year um, and then it worked out for him to come back to San Diego, as you know, uh, you know Philip is Philip Rivers is a big fan of Shane's, and uh, they they worked awfully well together for the that time they were there. Nor, what was it about maybe what you saw as Shane as a player or how he interacted, you know, with with Scott? You know, like what was it going back maybe to those UNLV days where you thought to yourself, oh man, this is a kid that you know could could have a pretty bright future in the coaching world. Well, I think uh, most of that would be, you know, the, the visiting with Coach Robinson, uh, who was his coach, who was obviously my coach, and I worked for for a long time. Uh, you know, Scott got a lot of that chain. Um, I was around him enough to know that he was uh, serious about football, and you know, it's uh, it just worked out. You know, and when you when you hire a guy in that position, you, you I don't think anyone can anticipate, you know, the rapid rise and the way things work out. But he, he was, Shane's been put in some, you know, he's put himself in some real good situations and he's taken advantage of it. You know, he's, he's been able to coach good players. Uh, they respond to him. Uh, you know, so he's had success. Norv Turner is with us. Shane Steichen calls him his mentor. He gave him the first opportunity in the NFL. Norv joins us here on this Tuesday morning. For an offensive coach, he's going to call the plays here. He's made that very clear. His quarterback background speaks for itself. What do you think those couple of seasons on the defensive side of the ball did for his career as a coach? Well, I told him when he when he came in, I was, uh, I was fortunate that uh, – 
when I coached at USC, the coach on the defensive side, I actually coached the secondary uh, for a period, and I think it gives you a real different perspective on you know what offensive, what defenses are trying to do, uh, how they look at offensive teams, uh, you know the way they uh, put together a plan to to stop schemes or stop players. Uh, it just gives you a, you know an insight to how guys guys think and. Uh, Shane was with some really good defensive coaches, and, uh, you know, I think he took advantage of it. Coach, you obviously, you know, had a similar path where NFL coaching obviously can be – you can become a vagabond in general. That's part of the business. But when you go to multiple stops, both as an offensive coordinator and a head coach, based on your experience, is it a bigger challenge to go into a a situation – to have guys learn your system or is it a bigger challenge to go in and say, you know what, I'm going to tweak my system based on the players that I am now inheriting with this new position. Does that make sense what I'm asking in terms of... It makes complete sense uh, even this early in the morning for me. Uh, (laughs) You know, the thing that I just, I'm just probably a little different in this this way. I, I think... Um, the game is is about players, and you, you, certainly your scheme helps the players. Uh, but you know, a, a real good player is going to be good in any system. Uh, now, I think what you're asking, and, and I think Shane's very capable of doing it, is you tweak your system to who you have, and and obviously the the offense with Herbert that. Shane was running was a lot different than what they did in Philly uh, for for the for the, you know the, the whole offensive group there. But there's there's key things that, that you see that Shane does, and he did them. He's done them with all the situations that he's been in with Philip, with with Herbert, with Hurst. Uh, you can see things and and the. The thing I like about what he's continuing to do, uh, he try he he continues to create and try to create explosive plays because in our league that's in, and that's how you score points. You better make explosive plays. If, if you don't, uh, you know it's it's just too tough to grind it out. And how long does it take to to figure out your like when you go into a new situation? How long is the assessment period before you can get a really good feel of who you have and, and and how much tweak you can do? You got to tell me who the quarterback is first. Yeah, well, that's the, that's the million dollar question in the league, right? We're asking no, the same question. I, I, yeah, you you. Uh, I was telling the guys, and that's starting me. All the guys I've coached would would uh, tell you the same thing. I those first meetings, hey guys. Uh, if you do something real well, we're going to find a way to put it in the game plans. We're going to find a way to use it. If you do a lot of things real well, then you're going to be used an awful lot. You know, if you're if you're a one or two trick pony, then that's that's what it is. And sometimes players have a tough time hearing that because you know we all have egos and they all think they're good at everything. But that's your job as a coach to to figure out what guys are best at and and in the games let them go do it 
Norv Turner's with us here on this Tuesday morning. Again, the mentor for Shane Steichen, um, giving us some great insight into the new head coach of the Colts. Norv, your history, you know, calling plays, being a head coach, you know, putting that on your plate was something that, that, that you did. Shane has made that clear. He's going to do that here in Indianapolis. What would be your advice as a first-time head coach in handling and delegating various responsibilities? Well, I think you've got you to match it to who you are and uh, – what your experiences have been and and the, the best thing Shane has going for him in terms of the initial part is he's called the play from the sideline uh you know he's done that uh, uh for wherever he's been i believe and so it's not that far away from what he's going to be doing it's a big step coming from the press box down to the field it's it's a lot different uh and then i think you just you you, you prepare and you have people who are helping you along the way. And I know everyone now has an analytics guy, but you have a, a game management guy who can help you. Uh, I always had the special teams coach always alert on every situation with him because they're the guys that, as you're making those critical decisions, it's usually, you know, are we going for it? Are we punting? Are we kicking the field goal? Are we going for it? Those type of things. And, and, you know, way ahead of time, I wanted the special teams coach uh, communicating with me. Okay, coach, we're on the 40. Uh, you know, we we're, we need eight more yards to kick a field goal, to, to, those type of things as you're, as you're talking. And you learn to do both of those things. And, you know, uh, I think uh, Shane, with having Gus there, having someone to lean on that way, that'll help him in that process too. You know, I look at it, coach, Los Angeles, Dallas, San Diego, Miami, San Francisco. Like, you pretty much cornered the market on the coolest places to coach, right? Like, well, was just my strategy? Uh, I coached at USC for nine years. That was my, my first major stint. And then we just moved down a few miles to Anaheim that was in Los Angeles Rams. So I was in L.A. 16 years. And then we started making – the treks across country and you're right i mean to coach in dallas to, to live in uh virginia coach the redskins for the they were the redskins when i coached them uh you know for seven years uh th- those are those are great times and there there's a lot of uh good times and obviously when you're coaching NFL, at times are struggles but we we've been fortunate uh to be with good people, you know, wherever we've been, and and that makes it a lot more enjoyable. You know, one of the guys that you coached, who's an Indianapolis guy that I've gotten to know as an, you know, in a, in his post playing career, um, and that I I think the world of is Jeff George, and Jeff speaks very highly of you, coach, uh, of his time in being with you. And he told me, he said, yeah, man, I loved playing for him, but Daniel Snyder absolutely ran the show. And, and that at times, maybe from Jeff's perspective, he saw that as, as being a challenge. Was that challenging to have owners that, that step in and overstep? It, it was uh, the biggest challenge um, is, is in, you know, when uh, Snyder bought the team, we were, we had worked our butts off and it took longer than I wanted, but we'd become a good team. And, and, um, I know we had traded for Brad Johnson, and then that 99 season, uh, we, you know, we were second in the league in total offense and second in the league in scoring. The team that was ahead of us was uh, St. Louis, the greatest show on turf, and 
and Brad had a had a great year, and we had Stephen Davis cranking it up, and uh, you know we just made a, we just made too many changes after that first season. Dan wanted to, I think he wanted to be a part of it, wanted to have an impact on it, and um, it just it just made it tougher that way. Uh, but it's more that's what's happening in the league now more than ever. There are more. Uh, you know, owners that are that want to be right in the middle of it. Uh, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that want to make sure they get their voice in to help the coach. So it's I think it's a little more complicated now. Do you think Indianapolis is perceived that way? I mean, do you think Shane Steichen coming into it is aware that perhaps they have an owner that's going to want to have his voice heard as well? You know, there's a there's a pretty good history there of of uh, the Colts have. <laughs> Having some pretty good success and and having a, a run where, you know, I I from what I understand it wasn't a situation where any, there was a lot of interference. Uh, you know, it makes it easier when you have Peyton Manning and and uh, Tony Dungy and that crew. Uh, but uh, you know, I think uh, Shane's very comfortable with the way things are, have been set up for him, and that he he's comfortable that he'll be you know able to be the coach of the team and that's what you can ask for. Coach, last one from me. Um, I'm sure there's times where Colts fans, you know, maybe they haven't been the biggest Norv Turner fan, um, <laughs> considering what you did in the 2007-2008 playoffs. Uh, if you had to pick one of the two playoff wins that you had with the Chargers over the Colts, which one was sweeter in your mind? Well, they, they were both great wins, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a big, big, big Darren Sproles fan. I, if it was up to me, um, he would have never left San Diego. But and that's what we're talking about. You know, sometimes uh, you're a head coach, and you don't have the final say in certain things. Uh, but the coming into Indianapolis, and uh, you know, the whole situation with Philip getting hurt late in the game and, and everything that happened and the, the, it was such a great game. The number of times we uh, came from behind uh, in that game and, or the way it went back and forth and, and to win it the way we did, uh, you don't you don't get much better than that. You know, it was uh, it was awfully exciting for everybody. Okay, last one for me, Coach, and I appreciate the time this morning. Uh, Rams, Cowboys, Redskins, as we mentioned, they were then. Chargers, Dolphins, Raiders, 49ers, Browns, Vikings, Panthers. I'm the first to admit, Coach, that if I coached at those places, I'd have like nine closets of free gear that I took when I left on my way out. So which sweatshirt do you find yourself wearing the most often, and which of those teams do you actually think, you know, it's been a while since I've worn a hat, sweatshirt, or T-shirt from that club? Well, it's uh, that that one's a tough one. What we actually have uh, is we have a little place up in New Hampshire on Lake Winnipesaukee, and and we have a lot of different teams sweatshirts up there because uh, <laughs> it gets it gets cold at night and you want to beat the mosquitoes. That's so <laughs> uh, I don't wear a lot of um, a lot of uh, gear from any teams, but it comes back to me now. It comes back about about people. Uh, more than places I coach. So, you know, there's people that you're close to and that you're rooting for. Obviously, my son's at the Raiders. Uh, Shane, I'll be a, I'll be a Colt fan uh, unless they're, they're playing the Raiders. You know, uh, you, it's about people. I've, I've had a lot of people that work for me. Kevin Stepanski I work with. I mean, you can go down the list of guys that, 
uh, have have been with you or coached for you, so you tend to root for people more than places. Well, speaking of people, uh, two friends of mine from high school, Kevin and Ryan Foley, they played with your son Drew at San Diego. Briefly met oh Drew <laughs> when I was visiting uh, them and, and some other buddies out in California, and it was uh, he, he was a good kid. So um, no shock here. You've been so gracious with your time on this Tuesday morning. So thank you for that, Coach. Yeah, sure. I, I enjoyed it. Uh, did you survive – Hanging out with those guys, with the Foley's and with Drew. I mean, yeah, the Foley's, you know, uh, they look innocent, but they can be up to a little bit of trouble here and there. That, that, that was quite a crew, yeah. They, they had a lot of fun. That's how it's supposed to be when you're in college, right? They did, yeah. I think I've uh, aged a little bit from that trip to California when I went to visit them a couple of years ago. Uh, Coach, thank you a ton. Shane Steichen, we're going to chat with him on Friday, so looking forward to uh, making that connection with him, and I uh, really appreciate your time here. Absolutely. Good luck to the Colts. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.